Hello, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the Legend of Zelda series. Uh, we finally finished Twilight Princess. We did! Yeah. Which means it's time to do the next video game, The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass, the sequel to The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Finally. But not The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker 2, which was canceled in favor of Twilight Princess. Boo. Strong opinions. Yeah. Uh, this is the most innovative game in the series, some might say. I think that you could definitely make that argument. It's probably the strongest attempt uh, pre-Breath of the Wild to modernize the design of a Zelda game. The controls are totally different. Yes. And they are a point of contention for a lot of the hardcore gamer Zed. I remember a lot of people being very upset. They're still very upset. There's no memory to it. You can ask right now, how's Phantom Hourglass? And you will get no less than 20% of the people you speak to going, I wouldn't know, I can't play it because the controls are shit. And this isn't an accessibility thing, No, which it's is totally not, understandable. Yeah, as an accessibility thing, it's, that would be one instance. It's like, oh, well, I can't hold a pen in that way. It's like, yep, I feel that. But it's like, no, tapping on a screen is not as good as using a control stick and buttons, even though I actually really like the ability to control Phantom Hourglass using just the pen. Crystal, what did you think about the controls? I enjoy the controls of the Nintendo DS Legend of Zelda games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think they're fun. This game was originally going to be a sequel to Four Swords Adventures for the DS. Ah! <laughs> but then they made uh, touch controls because Enuma was like, this sucks, let's make a good one. Yeah, okay. That was a good decision. Yeah, I think it's going okay. And this is the game that gave him a complex, right? When he played it, he was like, oh no, I have to improve on Twilight Princess in some areas so that it can be like as good as this. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. I think we talked about it back in like part 37 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's one of those cases where he was really impressed by the innovation of it and how well the team was able to boil down the Essential Zelda experience into uh, a format that would be much easier to play for people who don't normally play games. And after I played Phantom Hourglass... For the Brain Age people. The Brain Age people. It's basically for the Brain Age people. After I played Phantom Hourglass, I felt perfectly fine with the idea of Zelda on a mobile device. If they ever do that, it'll work fine. I love how you can you can tap and swipe, and all of the weapons have slightly different touch-based controls. Yeah. It's just very intuitive to mm -hmm. me. Now, what is your preferred title for this game? Because the Japanese title's subtitle is Mugen no Tsunadoke, which could be translated as Hourglass of Dreams or Hourglass of Fantasy. Hmm. Um... And just as a localization thing, I think I actually prefer the Phantom Hourglass. Why is it a Phantom mm, Hourglass? That's not going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. That's right. I only do the sound editing. You do the actual putting up. Uh, I guess of dreams. It sounds nicer. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the one I had the toughest time choosing. Because it's not the Hyrule fantasy. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> but, yeah, I have issues with Phantom because the the monsters are called phantoms yeah it's related to the phantoms but it's not really uh, all right yeah I, I understand the phantom sword i guess because it's for poking phantoms yeah but the hourglass no no probably not now it does need to be said that i had started in on a replay of this title 
anticipating this episode. And I got in far enough to go like, oh, wow, I remember, I really enjoy this game. I love the way that the dungeons are set up and everything feels intuitive and nice and it's lots of good puzzle solving. And uh, due to life circumstances, I didn't get far enough in to jog my memory with regards to the rest of the plot, though. Now, Monica, who listeners may hear her voice is slightly different because she has a chipped tooth. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we're going to the dentist after this recording. Um, you briefed yourself on the entire story and made notes about the whole thing. Yes. Crystal, how familiar are you with the story of the Phantom Hourglass or the Hourglass of Dreams? I played this game uh, five years ago. Oh. I don't remember it having uh, too much of a story. No. It's not story heavy. Oh. I can help walk us through. It's funny how much, like, casual Saturday morning cartoon misogyny they managed to cram into Uh. such a thin story. (laughs) Am I wrong? Well, it was written by Hidemaru Fujibayashi. Oh, Fujibayashi. Did he do the writing on Skyward Sword? I forget. I know he was the director. He is credited as both director and writer on Skyward Sword. Somebody must have slapped him around a little bit on that one. Well, we are going to get to that with Spirit Tracks. True. Yeah, but he didn't write Spirit Tracks, I don't think. Oh, well. I'm sorry, I think you mean Train Whistle of the Wide World? Ooh. Oh, god damn it. No, okay, listen, we'll fight about this in a week or two weeks or whenever we're recording. Would you prefer Steam Whistle of the Earth? Yes, that's... That is actually it's a more literal translation, but it's not the one that Onuma gave. Uh, I I do I still like Spirit Tracks. I gotta admit, <laughs> I I'm big into it. I'm so glad that after uh wait why did they stop releasing like Zelda games with identical titles in all regions at some point and then get back to it with Breath of the Wild? I don't know. I think they've done it. They've mostly done it for the mainline titles. Uh, the console ones. Well, Crystal more specifically means the titles that involve Zelda, Link, and Ganon. Oh. No, I, I more, do more specifically mean the 3D console games. Yeah! Oh, damn it. I misunderstood. That's it's right. really only the Wind Waker that breaks from that. And Skyward Sword was also the same in English and Japanese. I think Twilight Princess was a start, really, of it being in English. No, Ocarina of Time and Majora were the same. Oh, yeah, but I mean, like, it was just the English name, and then in Japanese it would be Twilight Princess. Yeah. 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 Anyway, this game. Yes, Phantom Hourglass. Crystal, how does this game start? (laughs) This game starts with uh, Nico telling you a story about how Link beat up Ganon real good. Saving Zelda (laughs) from the the Ganon. Saving Zelda, Link used his big, strong, manly strength <laughs> to save the poor, helpless princess all from on his the own. evil beast, Ganon. Fujibayashi, yes, very all by himself. Very big into Twilight Princess, Fujibayashi. Shall we read the intro, or shall we just go, this is a fuck of a story? No, this is a fuck of a story. Retelling. Yeah, let's read the text of the intro. Oh, okay. no. Okay, can you, can, can, can you link us? I got it. So we don't get it because they changed Skype and now I can't. There it is. Oh God, where's the? Oh, there it is. Oh, what is this? Shit? <laughs> Why would you they can't do... even click? It. Why would they do it like that? Okay, how far do we? Should I just read the whole thing or do we like pass off? About four lines each, let's say. Okay. Um, our story begins not long ago. There was a young girl, savvy to the seas and head of a band of pirates. Her name was Tetra. She was pretty, brash, and brave. 
Tetra and her pirates set out to explore the vast and unfamiliar seas. One day on a stop at an island, Tetra One... met a young boy gr dressed in green. After a series of strange events, the two began traveling together. Oh, they... wait, our, I realize we might not have the same screen, so the oh, lines may be stretched How out. wide is your screen, Crystal? Uh, the first line ends on her name was. Oh, okay, so it is the same. Yeah, it's the same. Oh, no. Is that my mother? Hold Cameron, on. you did not meet your phone. God damn. Oh, it's, hold on, it's Mama. Okay. Mama had to tell us about uh, Amazon deals. I'm definitely leaving this part in. Okay. So, um, where was I? Dressed in green. No, no. After a series of strange events, the two began traveling together. They found old ruins, and light enveloped Tetra. At once, she transformed into a beautiful princess. Her lineage traced back to an ancient ruined kingdom. She was Princess Zelda of the Kingdom of Hyrule. Just then, a huge and ominous king appeared. He carried Princess Zelda away. The evil king sought the sacred power passed down to Hyrulean princesses. He schemed to take the power and use it himself. The boy chased after him, determined to save the princess. The boy crossed seas and mountains. The journey was perilous. He slayed evil monsters and used their power to become a true hero. After long and hard adventuring, he defeated the evil king, and beautiful Princess Zelda was rescued at last. Later, the two set out with a brave pirate crew in search of new lands. Yes, they set sail together. A happy pirate ending. Oh my god, three counts of how pretty or beautiful Tetra is. <laughs> yeah. Nico has... I like the part where it says Link used the power of the monsters he slayed to become a true hero. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if that what it mm. I also like the part where a huge evil king appears and it might not necessarily be Ganondorf at first. That was what I was gonna say. Oh I'm I sorry. I told you that yesterday. You did. Okay. It's, Scene stealer. I'm sorry. Monica did point out that this story leaving out mention of Daphnis kind of um creates this correlation or not correlation it basically uh, it's arguably that this evil king could be daphnis yes until they stab wait well no well, did nico meet daphnis no it was just tetra and link because nika i guess nico has a crush on tetra that is definitely Always talking about how beautiful and pretty she uh, is yeah or maybe it's just like that's the way that he expresses how proud he is to be her caretaker. Nico, how old is Nico? Nico, um, I think he's like. Is Nico a grown man? Nico's like, fuck. Uh, he's link sized. Yeah, but he could be just you know one of those guys who. It's hard to tell. Yeah, he's probably. I definitely read Nico as being like thirteen. Thirty. Okay, those are two very different readings of this character. He's just very unsuccessful as a pirate and person. Uh, mm. Because, like, if he's alive in the train whistle of the wide world, he can't be too old. Oh, right. Oh, yes, he can. People in Hyrule or this series can live to be quite old. I forget that he survived. Yeah, he's he does the same framing device uh, at the beginning of oh. Spirit Tracks. Which, by the way, I love the framing device here where it's Nico holding up little dioramas that he made out of cardboard paper. It's good. Yeah. Kind of calling back to the Wind Waker thing where they just actually did that in like two hours for E3. 
He sure does insist on calling Tetra by Zelda here. Yeah. And that's something that comes up very early on because the camera pulls back after Nico's finished telling the story of what happened in Wind Waker. And it shows that he's actually holding up these picture frames and showing them to you, the player, who turns out to be Link. And Link is like falling asleep because he knows all this shit. And Tetra's like, motherfucker, would you stop calling me Zelda? And he's like, what? No. No. I still like how, because it doesn't mention Gandorf in this I'm just going to read it as Daphnis, especially because Daphnis was there when Tetra had her big revelation. Yeah. <laughs> Not Ganondorf. Does Nico think that Daphnis and Ganon are the same person? Could be. I hope so. Yeah. That that seems what like... What is the purpose of this intro? Uh, I think... Like, the whole thing with establishing this as a sequel to Wind Waker, which it really isn't in any meaningful sense... It's to explain that Link has had to rescue this girl before. And that, you know, although you see her constantly as a pirate, she is a princess. Also, well, weirdly, Link has gone through a lot, but, you know, he's back to three hearts and no weapons. Man, do y'all remember at the ending of Wind Waker, where it's like Tetra reassumes her identity and shoots Ganondorf in the fucking head with light arrows like 30 times, and she's fighting alongside you the whole time. She even gets slapped around for it and shit. And in Nico's version of the fight, she's cowering behind Link as he attacks Ganon with a sword. Yeah, it's Ni- not great. Nico's got some ideas about how that went. But it's, it, it's kind of emphasized by everybody in the game. Like Tetra says... You saved me from the evil king. Yeah, she does say that at least twice in the intro. Who would believe that you're the one who saved me from the evil king? It's not great. Yeah. We're going to be hung up. To our listeners, um, we're going to be hung up on this the entire time. So if you don't like it, I apologize. It's just going to be this way. Maybe not the entire time. <laughs> anyway, the ghost ship shows up. Yes. And it is and it, is it the it same kidnaps. ghost ship? No. Hmm. I mean, like... Okay. <laughs> There's <laughs> a matter of not. debate as to whether it is the same ghost ship or not, but like, it's the same ghost ship. Come on. <laughs> what? No. This is how stories are told. It, it looks Ocarina, different. Ocarina of Time Zelda's ghost ship finally got out of control. No, it is, it, it, it's not created by Zelda. It has a story relation. Okay. And also, Tetra totally doesn't believe in its existence, even though, you know, Link has dealt with at least one ghost ship. There's no ghost ship. Come on. And Link is like, hmm. And then it appears. And Link's been to the ghost ship. <laughs> I know. Link got Triforces out of the ghost ship. I think the thing is that Link just doesn't correct anybody. He's probably just barely awake through the whole thing. Link don't. He's like, it's worthless to try to argue with you people. You'll do whatever you want regardless. Yeah. That's Link. So the ghost ship appears and... Tetra jumps on and immediately has a girly scream. Yeah, she's oh, those Tetra screams are everywhere. And then uh, Link tries to jump on and he grabs hold of the ship, but maybe due to his little cartoon arms, he can't hoist himself up and then he falls screaming into the ocean. God damn it. <laughs> this is the same kid who could power his way up a loose rope using only the strength of his arms and gather it up as he's climbing. Yes. Phantom Hourglass. I guess. It's a funny sequence, though. Phantom Hourglass, even though it's a DS game with very limited graphics, uses its style for a lot more visual comedy than you would assume. Yeah, I'd say so. 
they preserve most of the important things about how Link looks, even though his pupils are like way more huge and rectangular than they used to be. You can't read your own damn writing. I can, so. I sure as shit can't. I'm Okay, you aren't me. Well, we've proven before you can't read it. I can. Okay. I'm just, I don't want to just constantly talk. Uh, I want the both of you to be involved. Uh, it, mm, yeah. Shall I walk us forward? What happens next, Crystal? So Link falls into the ocean, and there's like some sort of mysterious purple portal that appears with Tetra inside it, and she's falling into a mysterious yellow light inside the purple portal, and she says, Link, please save me. <laughs> I'm just a hopeless little girl. <laughs> Again. Yep. That's basically all. And then Link wakes up on a mysterious beach, and Navi's there. This oh, part God. actually fucked me and Monica up pretty bad back in 2007. <laughs> because <laughs> this is where Navi went. You wonder where she went. There she is. And, and this just has Navi's voice. Yeah, that was that's, that was unfair. That's a, that is a sh- very hard shortcut into instant emotional resonance. I I don't know if Cam remembers, but you cry. I got yeah to the <laughs> hey part. And then I closed the screen and cried I, I for a few minutes. I remember. I was there. Yeah. That's why I said I don't know if you remember. Oh, I remember. Okay. Like, it, it it fucked me up a little bit. It fucked Monica up real bad. Didn't Doesn't uh, Celia also have this thing where she can't remember what's up? Yes. She has amnesia, so uh-huh. she can't remember. So there's like, at least for this first little bit, there's this possibility space where this fairy actually could be Navi. I actually kind of wish they had gone through with it. I I mean, she's the spirit of time and courage. And who else is associated with those two things? Navi. Yeah. I guess actually there's no reason she couldn't be. No, there's no reason she couldn't be. Huh. Except that this is in the adult timeline. Also, uh. <laughs> she gets her full memory back and, yeah, you know, I think may have said something. That's fair. Should have. It's like, you know, you look a lot like this other guy I used to know. This sh- this schmo that I left behind. Okay, so Link wakes up on a mysterious island, and not Navi is there. She's not quite Navi because she's yellow instead of blue. Not yellow yet, just white. Oh, she's just white. Okay, she double looks like Navi in this sequence. Uh-huh. Jesus. Okay. Uh, and she's like, oh, your friend is on the ghost ship? Well, that's fucked up. Okay, we're going to go see Grandpa. Maybe he'll be able to tell you what's going on. And the grandpa is Oshu? Oshu, yeah. And he's just this gnarly little old dude who's got a conch cell cane. And he's like, the ghost ship? Yeah, you better give up. And Navi, uh, Celia, is like, it, it, that's his friend. We can't just give up. What? Why would you say such a thing, grandpa? You've got to help her. And Link is like, yeah, I'm pretty much going to do it no matter what, whether you help me or not. And Oshu's like, okay, well, um, no, you, sh- you should still give up. I forget what happens next. Um, you end up stealing a sword. Oh, yeah, you steal his sword. But you have to go through a sword lesson first, because Link doesn't know how to use a sword. Why would Link know how to use a sword? What are you talking about? Or maybe he's just a very polite boy who, again, won't correct anyone, so he goes through this sword lesson half asleep. You can't talk back to your elders. At any rate, um, and Link is told to go meet Linebeck. Who is Captain of the SS Lineback. Yes. The SS I love that he named his boat after himself. Maybe he's named after the boat. Well, what what does SS mean? I don't know. Let's check. 
Okay, it's not that one. No, no. Search like with respect to ships. SS meaning ship. <coughs> Just means steamship. Steamship. Okay. Cool. Oh, so it's okay. the steamship linebacker. Yeah, he could be named after the ship. He has a descendant also named Linebeck. It's a line of Linebecks. It still seems like a family name, not being named after the ship. <laughs> Why you gotta do this? I'm simply saying it's a possibility. And Line- Linebeck is a fun little character because he's like, you know, he's he's kind of he's kind of cowardly and he's greedy, but he's also very amusing and he has a heart of gold. Yes, he's great. He's definitely one of my favorite characters in the entire series. And I have to find a place where I can get a good rip of his theme song for this episode because I have to use it pretty much right at the beginning because he's the standout for this game. The greatest theme. Oh, yeah. Also the best character. He's just so good. He's such a fucking coward all the time. He's like Luigi. (laughs) He's like Luigi and Wario combined. Do you two like Linebeck or Groose better? Uh, Like... (laughs) Bruce, but when you say he's like Luigi and Wario combined, <laughs> you're not saying he's like Waluigi. No, no, that's a very different character. Who is Waluigi? No one in this series is much of a Waluigi, <laughs> except for like uh, Dark Link. What? Dark Link is basically Waluigi. Linebeck is a combination of Wario's greed and Luigi's cowardice, um, which can be courage in the right context. Waluigi doesn't really have either of those things. Let's talk about the Temple of the Ocean King where Link has to go to get the Phantom Hourglass. Okay. Yes. Please tell us about it. Uh, It has a Triforce crest inside it. It sure does. And the fairies relate to... What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) The fairies relate to power, wisdom, and courage, and and time. And there are symbols in there relating to the conventional shapes. It, It would seem to be that the Ocean King who is already established as the guardian god of the great sea. This is the ocean this is the sea of the ocean king, the ocean king's ocean. What what's the name for this world of the ocean king? There's no actual name. Oh. It's just the world The world of the ocean king. Yeah. Okay. So the world of the ocean king still seems to have some connection to the world of the triforce. And in fact the ocean king uses the symbology of the Triforce in much the same way that the Hyrulean royal family does, which implies that some part of his provenance is derived from the Triforce. Yeah, that works. What do you think of that, Crystal? So, okay. I don't know. Because, like, who's, who's, who's the ocean? He's just like this minor deity that got his own realm? Yeah. But he's still... subservient to the goddesses i think he's actually a pretty major deity as far as these things go comparable to say the windfish levius no levius and the windfish are definitely different i'm saying the thing is that previously when you have visited uh other countries outside of hyrule they don't seem to care very much about the triforce no and really neither do most of the people in this world but the ocean king does right I guess the Ocean King isn't worried about the fact of worship so much as establishing what provenance is. To me, okay. it feels like the the world of the Ocean King is maybe he took a space in the Great Sea and then really 
insulate isolated it i think that's the the physics of this game's um physical space is something that we can get to at the end of this episode yeah it, that's when it comes up in the game too yeah, like yeah shocker yeah. so the temple of the ocean king has a triforce in it and it also houses the phantom hourglass which is a magical hourglass filled with a sand made of ground up force gems of life force oh yeah Specifically, Oshu tells you that it's the life force of the Ocean King. Which is where force gems come from in the world of the Ocean King. No, everybody has life force. Oh. And the temple of the Ocean King has been corrupted so that it drains your life force while you're in it and not in the sparkly protective floor tiles. Right. And if you have some grains of the ocean king's life force the send of hours that'll be drained instead. that will be drained instead uh, so it's a constantly draining space right and you have to replenish the ocean king's life force within these grains using the sun so to to reset the timer on the phantom hourglass you have to leave the temple linebeck makes a great comment about just because it's an hourglass why don't you just tip it back over yeah linebeck that's a great observation thank you linebeck <laughs> Now, you did say you prefer Groose to Lineback, Crystal. Mm-hmm. I'll have to think about that. I'll try to have an answer by the end of the episode. Did you two enjoy the Temple of the Ocean King? It's fine. I'm not in love with it. I am in I, love I with it. I think people complained about it a little too much. I like it quite a lot. I love it. Oh, it's good. I, I hate enemies that you can't kill. Yeah. And for a large portion of the game, you cannot. Yep. But there are so many safe zones, and there are so many ways to make shortcuts as you get weapons. Yeah. That it feels like a new and fairly safe experience either time, like every time. Yeah, I love coming back with new abilities and powers and items and shit, and being able to forge new paths that cut down on the time necessary to delve down into it. So you barely need the extra time that you accumulate over the course of the game because you get so much more efficient at moving through it. So even when you're moving through the same spaces repeatedly, you feel like you're progressing, at least in terms of your skills. Yeah, no, like it's absolutely new things each time. It does have the whole thing where it's not uh, aesthetically different every time you move through it. And I know that a lot of people have a problem with there not being aesthetics But the challenges it presents to you are quite varied over the course of it. Mm -hmm. So you get the Phantom Hourglass, and you meet up with Linebeck. Yep. And um, Oshus tells you that to locate the ghost ship, you need to uh, find and free the three uh, servant spirit fairies. Of the Ocean King. Yes. um, Who are trapped in their respective temples. And you'll also beat the monsters that were created and have the Sand of Hours, which will add to your hourglass. So you get upgraded in all sorts of ways every time you beat a temple. Right. And Linebeck is in it for the treasure. Yep. The sweet, sweet ghost ship treasure. Right. Even though he's terrified of the ghost ship. And he doesn't want to go after it until he's reminded that there's probably some really sweet treasure. So this is where you go and you sail around. And sailing in this game is not like Wind Waker. Yeah, you draw where you want to go on the bottom screen, which shows the map, and then you, you go there on the top screen, which shows the boat. I love that. It feels good. It feels good. Being able to chart your course not out. Not as good as the train. But, you know. <laughs> I love that train. 
I like how you can also scribble like directions on the the map too. You know, go here. Yeah, I forgot this note taking. Mm-hmm. Oh. One of the DS's strengths. We need to bring back note taking. The fact that the puzzle solving incorporated the, your ability to draw on the map on the DS with the uh, pressure based touchscreen always felt really nice to me because it let them throw much more complicated puzzle elements at you than they would have dared to in any other Zelda game because you can write down parts of any solution. Oh, and there were whole like uh, DS and touchscreen based puzzles. Yes. Uh, there was one initially where you have to count the number of palm trees on the initial island and then write it down on the on a, a screen. That's Ember Island, right? No, just write the the first oh, one to get the right. sword. I thought, oh, it's it's torches on Ember Island. And then I can't remember exactly when, but there's a part where you have to press the map yeah, onto the, yeah, that's when one your of the, own map. One of the later. Uh, Dungeons requires you to copy information from one map onto your map, and the map you copy from is displayed on the top screen while your map is on the bottom screen. It's like, press them together, and it requires you to close your DS and reopen it, which is cute, but also, it's like the one puzzle in the game where I go, I don't know, guys. I don't know if that's very intuitive. I liked it. I I like it just because it's cute. It's awesome. Yeah. So the first island you go to is Ember Island, and Ember Island has very few people on it. I think it might just be like three or four. One of them is a fortune teller who is going to tell you how to get into the Temple of Fire or whatever the hell it's called. It's the Temple of Fire. And also her assistant who is somewhere and nobody knows where he is. And you go down, you find the fortune teller and her basement where she is is full of monsters. And you kill all the monsters and it turns out she locked herself in a closet. And for some reason there's no way for her to get out from the inside. Her name's Astrid. Asterix. I don't really note anything Astrid, yeah, Astrid. about her. And there isn't a whole lot to say about her except that she sends you after her uh, assistant because he'll know how to get her out. I don't know why she doesn't know how to get herself out. But you find her assistant, and her assistant's dead. He's just a pile of bones. And when you find the pile of bones, his ghost comes out of it, and he's like, oh, I'm a ghost. But you know what? Honestly, this isn't so bad. Being a ghost is fine. But you should really get Astrid out of that. So go do some stuff with torches and whatnot. You have to write down the number of torches that are on the island. To unlock this wardrobe? Yes. That's a complicated wardrobe. It's a complicated closet for sure. And you go and do it, and you talk to Astrid, and she's like, my assistant's dead. Ah, well. (laughs) And that's pretty much all that he gets. (laughs) And you have a big fortune telling with Astrid. I mean, he doesn't seem that concerned about it either. He's not. He's (laughs) he's actually super fine with it. He's like, well... Yeah, I mean... What, 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 do you, what do you want me to do? I'm dead now. Go do your thing. It's just like one of those cases where they could play this as being a darker part of the storyline, like something out of, say, Twilight Princess or even certain parts of Wind Waker, but they studiously avoid having any one scene be too heavy. So it's just played off as being kind of silly. And it is silly that you find this pile of bones and he's like, ugh, can't believe that happened. I'm dead again. <laughs> yeah. 
and you go into the fire temple and you go down into the depths of it and you solve some really cool puzzles and then you fight a boss who when i refought it i actually never figured out the exact mechanics of how to get it to form into a single body like i i knew that you had to get them all flying around on the boomerang but even when i did that they wouldn't like consistently come together i never did figure that shit out i beat it by attrition now do you remember the name of this boss its name is Blaze or Blaze. Blaze with two A's <laughs> and one Z and no E. Oh. I read it as Blaze for the longest time, and then I was like, "Why is it Blaze?" And <laughs> it's, they're, it's they're like little little pogosts. Yeah, they're like little pogosts with a funny face, and you have to mush them together, and then you can hit them. Yeah, you got to hit them with the boomerang, which you use by drawing its path on the bottom screen, which is very good. It is very good. It's a very powerful boomerang. And then you fight them and you kill them. And Leaf, the um, servant of power, fairy of power. His name is Leaf. Leaf, the spirit of power. The red spirit of power is named Leaf. Yes. Well, better than Eric, right? Okay. But it wasn't leaf like L I E F. Oh, it's leaf, leaf as in as like in, a leaf. Yes. Uh. Maple leaves. Yeah. Well, he's he's a why. He, <laughs> uh, he's a forest spirit still, even if he serves the Ocean King. Even if they're power related, I guess if you're going to entrap a leaf, you're going to do it in a fiery place. I called leaf he because I still have the name L I E F in my head. But are the fairies ever actually gendered? No. Oh. Yes, Leaf yes. is a boy. Okay. Leaf is called he. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, why is he called Leaf? <laughs> <laughs> well, what are the other ones called? Neri. Neri and Celia. Okay, so Neri is like air. And or Ciela? C- I don't know. C- and uh, uh, Leaf is like the trees. Cela C- 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 is like uh, the, the sea. Sky, ciel. C- C- oh, yeah. The the French. Yes. Okay. The Francois. <laughs> yeah, the Francois. <laughs> Jesus. The- I, I don't like it. Why did they call him Leaf? <laughs> He's the fire one. <laughs> what would you? What would you? What would you rather they call him? Laser. <laughs> Laser. With two Laser. A's. Lasers are powerful. Oh. That's a power word. Oh, I actually, oh, I knew a guy named uh, Lazar or Laser, and his name was spelled L-A-Z-A-A-R. I'm, oh. He, he went by Laser. So, like, like Blaze. Like Blaze, yes. With two A's. Yeah. Here's my question for you. Oh, no. Uh-huh. If Celia is Navi, is uh, Leaf Tail... Kim, I can't remember Leaf's voice. Are they are they just tinkling? I can't remember after having watched the cutscenes. No, um, no, I don't think that um, Leaf is tail. Okay, there's a lot of fairies. I I thought you were going to suggest that Leaf was the fairy of some particular Kokiri. I was going to no. say like, why don't Leaf and Neri have secondary power assignments? Sila is courage and time, but the other two are just wisdom and power. They Spoilers, get... we haven't Sorry. learned about Sila yet. We talked about it earlier. Shh, shh. But Neri looks like Navi, and Celia looks like Tattle, and Leaf looks like Tail. You're not wrong. Though initially... So what's the deal? 
I, I don't believe there can be multiple fairies. No. <laughs> There's just very clearly limited number of fairies. <laughs> There's thousands of them in the Kokiri Forest. They're particle Na- fairies with names. Oh, most of the. Co- I believe there's one fairy with a name. That is Navi. <laughs> and we just assume that everyone else and is. Tattle and Tail are the Skull Kids' dreams of Navi. As is Canon. What are you trying to find, Cam? Fado? Is it Fado? What if Leaf is Fado's fairy? Why do you say that? Because Fado is the only named kokiri seen to exist in the last while and also fado is the only boy kokiri i can think of off the top of my head boy kokiri don't necessarily, necessarily. Mean- i know because link had navi but what the fuck it i don't know what do you want from me fado is also the name of link's boss and twilight princess would you would you say fado was link's boss yes i would say so is he the ranch owner yeah i mean he he gives link orders Oh, he's not very good at doing ranching for somebody who's supposed to be Link's boss. Oh, really? Who would have thought that a boss might be less competent <laughs> than their employee? Huh. Huh. I've never heard of such a thing. Hmm. Getting into that hard-hitting commentary here on the Book of Medora podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Link uh, saves... Blaze. Uh, tail. Blazer. T- laser. Blaze. Laze. Blaze. Laser. Laser. So he's running around with Navi and Laser. And then what happens? I don't know. I just noted down the next temple is the Temple of Wind. Oh, Jesus Christ. What about, like, <laughs> what, what's, what island does it take place on? Because I know there's, like, an island where you get your cannon from. And you got to come back with, like, the boomerang and shit to get it. And you got to run around the island. And the guy who runs it is like, I'm very old. But you know what? I like your gumption, kid. Okay. Here's how much the cannon costs. Are you ready? No, seriously. Are you ready? Get ready for this. It's big. It's 50 rupees. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of fun incidental dialogue and stuff, but there's not a ton of uh, story as such for most of the middle chunk of this game. Yeah that's, yeah, that's one of the things about this game in that it doesn't care so much about the overarching plot. The plot is there just to facilitate the moment-to-moment interactions that you have with the characters and with the puzzles, which is very much a strength of the game as she is played, but I think is also kind of a weakness of the game with regards to how we might talk about it on this podcast. Yes. I do really like that uh, canon guy, though. That's like This game has some really good, funny dialogue in it, and everybody should play it just to experience that part of it. And it's fun to play. It's fun to play. And it's tuned so that it's a reasonable challenge while you're running around with stylus controls. So it feels good most of the time if you can get used to the idea of link running in the direction where you hold down the stylus on the screen the temple of wind i'm just proselytizing yeah you go to the temple of winds you get the bombs mm-hmm. and you have to th- shoot the bombs into the cyclone where the octopus lives to kill the <laughs> octopus to save cyclock 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 yes okay cyclock the octorock cyclone oh, oh no I don't like any part of that. So, okay, and then you kill this thing, and it fills up more of the Phantom Hourglass, and then you get Neri, who's the spirit of air because she's airy? No. Wisdom. No. Also air. Also air? Well, that's just like Leaf is from fire. 
I would say well, Neri. It's like a leaf in the wind. Neri is Nerid, so it's water-based. But she's on the windy island, just like Leaf, who's red, is on the fire island. Wind holds back water. What? I don't know. No, it doesn't. That, what? No. Like fire holds back a leaf. No. Do we have much to say about, uh, like, the interior of any of these temples? They feel like places of worship that have been turned into uh, obstacles. Like, But then they also feel like completely disconnected rooms that are just serving as ways for you to play through puzzles. Uh, yeah, who, who do the people worship? The Ocean King, I think. Through the medium mm-hmm. of the spirits? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that... It may not be worship in the same sense that we would think of it. Venerated. Yeah, veneration, make offerings. The Temple of the Ocean King was for the Ocean King until it was corrupted. Yes. And likewise, these temples, I think, were peacefully housing the spirits until they were locked in by the evil monsters. So it's not so much okay. that makes sense. So it's not so much that this is a place where people come to make offerings to the spirits. This is where the spirits live so that they can regulate the energies of the world. Regulate fire, wind, and courage, respectively. <laughs> come, fuck, come on. The next temple is courage. Oh. <laughs> I didn't I don't remember. Right, the the three elements. <laughs> fire, wind, and courage. Uh-huh. Perfect. This game is full of really jarring third <laughs> shit like this. I don't. I got nothing. Okay. Um. Okay. Tell me about. The, is this on the island of courage? What is this? I don't know. I didn't write that part down. Damn it! It's on Molita Islands. Molita Island. Okay. Can you tell us about Molita Island, Crystal? Can you save us from this shit <laughs> show that we've made? Uh there's a couple people living there, like Romanos. Who's kind of like, he has a head that's shaped like a pear, and he has a big old nose. Good. Those are good character traits. And then he's like, you know, I, I don't feel good about my father because he abandoned me and my mother. Oh. And then Link acts like an RPG boy, and he's like, where's your father? Maybe I can find him. And then Romanus is like, no, fuck off. I'm at you now. Yeah. As is reasonable when somebody tries to pry into your family history now in fairness this guy did dump all that on link but okay i've been playing mass effect andromeda for the second time oh jesus because i think it's a good game the bioware game the bioware protagonist uh like i just got to the part where like you get all your companions and they're hanging out on the ship and like the krogan guy makes some like you know mild rib about how you know this this crew is green and we're really gonna have to get it together guys and then uh cora one of your human companions responds to that mild rib with oh get it together huh like the krogan got it together when they nuked their own homeworld. oh my god uh, <laughs> it's like <laughs> whoa that seems like a little bit uh disproportionate response there human companion yeah <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> Wow. I wanted to ask about Andromeda since you've been playing through all we of them. We nuked our own world. Oh, yeah, we've done that a couple times, actually. We do it for fun, just to see how big our nukes can get. Uh, yeah, um, we do do that. I, I, I wanted to ask, since you're playing through Andromeda for the second time, uh, what, what's the name of the main character in Andromeda? Ryder. Ryder. Is there a sequence in Mass Effect Andromeda where Ryder 
walks by a family that is having some kind of very personal family planning issue and then offers their opinion no. unsolicited? I no, I don't believe that happens. Oh, really? So they so Ryder doesn't pull a shepherd? No, I don't. Ryder also, when she's talking to Drac, the Krogan companion, does not immediately ask. So tell me about the Jennifer. <laughs> Yeah, Shepard had that problem of being the introductory uh, protagonist of the setting. Very, very rough role for old Shepard there, that Shepard actually didn't know anything about aliens in spite of having grown up in a civilization 20 years after first contact. What a weird anyway, series. enough about Romanos. Romanos <laughs> doesn't matter. His dad's another guy in the game. That doesn't matter. What matters is you gotta go to the dungeon and get the spirit of courage. That's true. And the bow. And the bow. Uh, what and the bow? What's the boss in this one? Are we to the Rhino Beetle boss yet? Craig? This boss is the Bane of Courage, which is a very large, uh, giant enemy crab. Oh yeah! How do you fight and it? You get, you gotta hit its eyeball with the bow. Oh. This is an eyeball-heavy game. It is. Okay, so you kill it by shooting it in the eye with the bow. Uh huh. Oh, it's one of the. We shoot in the tail with a bow because if you try to aim at it while it can see you, it will hide in its shell. Oh, I see. Got to anticipate it. But a tail is kind of like an eyeball. I don't see why it wouldn't be, honestly. So then you get the spirit of courage, and it turns mm-hmm. out that the spirit of courage is Sila, who's been with you the whole time, and she's like, "Hey, it me." Well, it, it's a beam of light first, and or a floating fairy uh-huh. that's not talking. And she's like, "Uh." And then the, and then Oshu's mysteriously shows up. He's like, "Hey!" Despite not having a ship, and I'm, then I'm f- here. <laughs> fuses them together, and she's like, "Oh, I remember. I'm the spirit of courage. My my pals Nary and Leaf didn't say shit about this, <laughs> but it's me. It it was me all along, Link. I'm not Navi. Sorry. That's the part she says to the player. <laughs> in my heart, she could still be Navi. I guess." Really, but you, as you pointed out, this is the wrong timeline. But it's a different world. In that case, she's still not the right Navi. Why not? Where's Navi in the adult timeline? She doesn't have to be. She. It's a different world. Okay, so it's timeline neutral. So she's. Oh, I see. So you're saying that this Navi, who is interacted with by Link from the adult timeline, could have come from the child timeline. That's correct. What an interesting cosmological problem that would present. <laughs> Navi flew into oh, no. the Temple of Time. <laughs> <And> she, yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> she flew deep into the Temple of Time. She ended up in the world of the Ocean King in the adult timeline. The only better version of this is if she flies into the Temple of Time and goes, wait, hold on, I can't. And then she comes back out and draws the Master Sword to go back into the future. <laughs> sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just thought the idea of Navi drawing the Master Sword was good. No, that is a great. Thank okay. you for Whew. showing us. Um. So all three spirits are found. And they act as your beacons. I remember this sequence from 10 years ago. Um, They light up to guide you through the fog that surrounds the ghost ship so you can chase it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that part. And you board the ghost ship and Tetra is there. Only she's a statue. She's stone now. 
Um, this is where we get some exposition. Yeah, exposition time. It's time for the rest of the plot. Um, <laughs> well, it is. Yes. There is a cute little cutout scene again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Oshus explains that um, there's a great evil called Bellum, and he... Oh, and, and Oshus... His evil oh. ran so deep that it leached the very life force from me. Yes. Ah, uh, so... Because Oshus is the, the Ocean, Ocean King. King. He's revealing himself now. Yes. As you know, every creature in this world possesses a sacred power. This power is called life force. The sand of ours is a physical manifestation of that power. And that is what brought them here. Please keep going. Oh, I struggled against my attacker in a great clash, but his evil was so dark that it slowly drained away my own life force. He was always a step ahead of my attacks and I was eventually overcome. I was dragged to the sunless depths of the temple. Sealed up, my life force continues to drain away. That's fucked up. Using the life force he leached from me, his evil spread and bred more and more foul monsters. The spirits of power and wisdom were also imprisoned, but Celia managed to split her soul and escape. That split was why so much of her memory was lost. So now we've got basically an explanation of what's actually going on in the game. Mm -hmm. Up to this point, it's just been a matter of like, okay, we need to get to a certain point and be able to board the ghost ship and get Zelda back. And now you've got Zelda back, and it turns out the Bellum stole her life force too. And that's why she's a statue. And when this pans out, you realize that uh, Oshus has made a little cardboard cutout (laughs) storybook to show everybody. It's very cute. It's a very good repeating motif. Um, I think he also gets into how he basically made a clone of himself or this this uh, human form uh-huh. and then used it to study Balum. He made the Phantom Hourglass and traveled uh, deep into the temple to try to you know understand his enemy. And that's when you show up. <laughs> He had been working toward fixing the problem himself. And then here comes this kid with a sword. Well, it's well, Ocean King's okay. sword. Here comes a kid. Oh, he stole my sword. It is interesting that this uh, protector god lets you go around and do all this stuff on his behalf. Sure, why not? Because he's, he's, he still seems quite powerful, honestly. His body is in the temple of the Ocean King at the very bottom. And he lets you know that it's still being leached by Bellum. This is interesting. Yeah, he also mentions that Bellum created the ghost ship in order to lure people in with the promise of treasure and then steal their life force. Oh, yes. And Linebeck is horrified because this means that there's no actual treasure. And he quits. <laughs> he quits on the spot. He says, nope, I'm out. I'm not risking my life for nothing. You guys are suckers. See you later. And it leads to what might be the best sequence in the game. Top three, easy. Where... Oshu goes, yeah, I didn't expect you to do this for free. So, I tell you what, you get to the end of this quest, I'll grant you a wish. And there's this long moment where Linebeck is staring away, and he turns around and says, Link, we gotta go do this. We gotta go do this right now. Come on. Up, up, motherfucker. Let's go. Linebeck's good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
So why did Princess Zelda put the Triforce in the ghost ship? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, this is the first ghost ship, or no. the you mean you mean the the part of the Triforce of Courage? Yes, yes. It's a good place to put it. Uh, this is why I don't think the two ghost ships are related because Bellum's clearly creating oh. or controlling this one. Maybe when okay. it sailed into the Great Sea for the first time, um, a piece of the Triforce gets planted into it. Like it, it in the distant past around Ocarina of Time, like this whole shit with Bellum and the Ocean King has been going on for centuries. So when it sails into Hyrulean waters for the first time, Zelda boards it and she's protected because she has the fucking Triforce and she plants the Triforce of Courage shard in it and that allows her to stabilize the ship and cut it off from Bellum. Oh, and then when it, it leaves, then oh. Bellum regains control? Yes, you have, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> you have merged the ghost ships. If we have to pretend that they're the same boat and that Tetra wouldn't believe in this ghost ship for some reason, even though I think she may have actually seen it, um, if we have to merge, then that makes as much sense to me as anything. Okay. They're not the same fucking boat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they look quite but alike. You can't have two ghost ships, just like you can't have six fairies. That would be like having two links. Or several magical sacred swords. Crystal, I'm just about talking about the one Link. <laughs> oh no, Link! I, Link is only ever a single person going on all these event adventures. And Crystal, I'm just about <laughs> sick of your multiple Link theorizing taking over this podcast. Ooh. <laughs> Why do people think that? Why would it's so, it, it's so stupid? Is the thing? Why would it be? that Link from Ocarina of Time would forget Zelda after Ocarina of Time and pretend that he was meeting her for the first time in Wind Waker unless it's the case that it is the one and only Link who has uh, recurring memory problems um. <laughs> and is so nondescript that Zelda also forgets him every time. There's two Zeldas and one Link and that's all <laughs> there's ever been. Um... <laughs> I think it's just really a case. Yeah, of like you said, I love the scene where the camera pans around Lionback as he says, "We got it. We got to save the Ocean King, kid. Come on, let's move it. Anchors away." Yeah, and the music kicks in. Oh uh, yeah, he's super all for it. He's so cavalier with other people's lives. <laughs> so now Link's got to go to some more temples and get the power to kill Bellum with a sword. He's gathering up these special uh, minerals that can be used to forge the Phantom Sword, which contains what is basically star rock and ground-up force gems. It's three pure metals. Yeah, pure metals from the sky. Um, mm. And here are where the different races of this game really pop up. Oh, right. Yeah, th um, yeah this part. I think you can do all of these in any order. Ah. Uh. I don't know, but... That's what the wiki said. Let's talk about the Gorons one first. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, why are the Gorons here? <laughs> the, the Gorons are everywhere. We've talked about this. But not the Great Sea. There's a couple. Th there, there were three of them on the Great Sea. Okay. I think when Oshu took a pocket of the Great Sea, he took most of the Gorons. No, we're going to... Mm, we'll talk about this. Many of the Gorons. Uh, no, Gorons just... 
basically spontaneously generate from the living spirits of the rock. What? Okay. Yeah, we talked the stone. Yeah, we we talked about this before. Gorons they they don't strictly speaking evolve from stone, but that's the easiest uh parallel we can draw. Okay. Where there's enough rocky material of a certain vivacity, Gorons will eventually appear. It's like how bugs appear spontaneously from rotten food. Yes. Except real and not fake. (laughs) So, and this is a dungeon where you get the Bombachu, which is good in this game because you can draw where it goes. Oh, that's really great. A Bombachu where you can draw out its path is such a game changer. I can't believe they never went back to it. Like, how fun would it be even in something as, like, even a game like Skyward Sword or Breath of the Wild where you plot out the path of the Bombachu by, like, controlling it? Like, even just like, okay, here's the path that it's going... Uh, it, it would be good. Maybe in um, Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, what I would like in Breath of the Wild 2 on hardware that was very powerful is for you to be able to trace out the path of a boomerang across the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you can stand on top of Death Mountain and throw your boomerang into the fire and have it light a torch on top of Hebra. Yes. <laughs> or it's like, even better, you light the boomerang on Death Mountain and you use it to hit a bunch of Lizalfos who are all over Hebra and they all explode without ever knowing that the boomerang was there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I would be a fan of That would indeed be very powerful hardware. Arbitrarily powerful <laughs> hardware. I love the idea that you could just throw this thing and then you're locked in. Like, you can still move Link, but you can't take the camera back for, like, five solid minutes as it flies across the world. And when it flies back to you, it only takes, like, 30 frames. I mean, you can basically do that in Assassin's Creed Origins, where you can move the eagle independently of Bayek. How far can the eagle go? Arbitrarily. Oh. That's cool. Yeah. You will have to do a loading screen when you try to go back to Bayek, but the eagle can go anywhere. That's pretty wild. So the Gorns have a temple. It's called Goran Temple. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Well, wait till you hear about the name of the other two temples. Okay. There's the Temple of Ice and Muto's Temple. Oh, mm, okay. They again don't really go together. No, they don't. There's, there's Right, the three elements. <laughs> Gorans, Goran, Ice, ice, and Muto. And Muto. This game has some very particular. It has a very particular view on theming here. It's like the cu- the cultures that produce these temples are so different that there's no point trying to make them all seem the same. So sure, why the hell not? Okay, so uh, there's a a particular character who gets you through the Goran Temple, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I remember there's actually like a boss fight that you have to do where you help out this little Goran. Yes, the little yeah, shit kid. Of Gongorin. Gongorin. Yeah, that one. Little shit kid Goron. The son of Big Goron, the chief Goron. Why is he a shit kid? Doesn't he kind of look like a shit kid? Oh, let me look at him here. He's got those swirly kid cheeks. He's kind of pouty and crossing his arms. It looks like a little Goron to me. A little Goron in trousers for some reason. How often do Gorons wear trousers? Why are the trousers not on fire? Why would they be on fire? He's not made of fire. He's made of rocks. <laughs> Does he stand on fire? I don't know, does he? Always? Oh. You can actually control uh, Gongoron uh, very briefly during the boss fight. Oh, that's right. He can carry bombs for you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Gongoron's all right. 
Even if he is a shit kid. I don't remember a damn thing about him. Yeah, why is he wearing trousers? <laughs> because they're like little kid shorts, I guess. But his legs are so stubby, they look like long pants. Yeah, but like, he's... Gorons don't wear clothes. No, they don't. It's not until um, Breath of the Wild, I think, once they start wearing like loincloths. But that's pretty much it. Big Goron is not as big as Big Goron in the other games where Big Goron appears. How big is Big Goron in this one? He's he's like Darunia size. Medium Goron. No, Medigoron was huge. Oh, um. His head was bigger than Darunia. Semi Big Goron. Oh. Goron. Sure. <laughs> I guess it's just like short for Big Brother Goron. I don't know. So who's Gongorin's mom? Wait, no, we agreed Gorons don't have mothers. They bud. They bud. Or possibly the... No, it doesn't fucking matter. He helps you fight Dongo Rongo. Dongo Rongo? I think so, if I can make out my handwriting. You can't. Can't I? Dongo Rongo. Dongo Rongo. And you get the Crimsonine Medal. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Dongo Rongo. Yeah, you just rip it off his back. I like the rock choo-choos. Because they're just choo-choos wearing rocks on their heads. Dongo rongo like bongo bongo. Only I do dongo. This is nonsense. <laughs> I hope it doesn't dongo rongo. Oh, you should really be ashamed. Um, This podcast is dongo rongo. <laughs> there, now you did Yay! it. We're back on track. That's the joke. Good. Okay, so you 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 put the bomb at you into its mouth so that it eats the bomb. Just like King Dodongo. Yeah. And then you rip the Crimsonine off its corpse's back. And now you got one of the pure metals. Got the pure metal. That you can use to make the Phantom Sword. And, uh... Why is it growing metal out of its back like a crystal? Now you know. It it eats it. Yeah. It okay. E- that makes sense. Okay. And I, after this, uh, it needs to be noted that Gon Gorin, the little tiny baby Gorin that you run around the Gorin Temple with leaves uh this particular island and you will later find him on ds island which is an island that looks like the nintendo ds handheld system oh he runs a mini game there i think wasn't there another game with another island that looked like a console i think there might be a gamecube island in one of these games it might be this one it's not this one oh i don't know then Anyway, he, he goes to DS Island, and there's just an island that looks like a DS. And then you have to stop and really sit and think, what is this game? How does this relate to Zelda lore? What is the metaphysical relationship between the Legend of Zelda series and the Nintendo DS Entertainment handheld system? Crystal, we look to you for answers in these kind of questions. The, you're asking me why there's a DS Island in the world of the Ocean King? Yeah. Why wouldn't there be? <laughs> Because the Ocean King likes, you know, the Nintendo DS. There are a lot of games for the DS. It's true. You could get a lot of the best castle. Maybe the Ocean King is a big Castlevania fan, and he appreciates that you can play most of the best Igarashi Castlevanias on the DS. All the GBA and DS ones, those are great. Order of Ecclesia was a DS title, right? Yep. Oh, man. That's correct. Yeah. I think that was probably the the best Castlevania. The best Igavania. I could see the argument that it's the best Castlevania. So you go and you get Gorn, you get the Crimsonite, which is, it's red metal. And then where do you go? You Time to go to the Ice Temple, the Temple of Ice. You get wrapped okay, up no. and embroiled in a an island's um, racial conflict. Huh? 
Yeah, between the uh, Anuki and the Uke. Yes. Okay, can... Okay, Crystal, can you describe the Anuki for me? Okay, so the Anuki are wearing, like, big winter coats, and they have uh, horns, and they never lie. Uh, hmm. Like reindeer people. Okay, can you describe the uh, Uke for me? Okay, well, the Uke are a lot like the Anuki, but they look a little more uh, (laughs) fierce-looking. I'm looking at one of them now, and they're yetis carrying clubs. Uh huh. Exactly. Right. They look a lot like the Anuki. They look a lot like the Anuki, only they're a little more fierce-looking. Slightly more fierce-looking, in that they're all oni, like they are this game's version of the Moblin. Oh, they're yeti. And the Uke always lie. No, they're not yeti. Yeti are yeti are different. They look kind of like the the yeti, though. They could. They look more like the abominable snowman. (laughs) Sure. Okay. No, they're not yeti. Yetis are different. I'm going to let you get away with this one, Crystal, but I'm going to feel bad about it. Um, the Uke are just like mean-looking Anuki. <laughs> so there's a giant political conflict. Uh-huh. Between because, these two peoples. Yes. They inhabit um, the east and west of this island, and a hundred years ago they made a pact not to like cross over and piss each other off. Mm-hmm. But a Uke has recently violated that pact. Why did he do it? I think abducting a Anuki. Um, oh, no. The, the actual reason is, is mind control. Oh, I see. Spoilers. Not really spoilers. It needs to be said here that uh, the name of the Uke tribe in Japanese is Snow Monkey. Oh. Uh, the brown ones are called Red Monkey. That's it. Okay. That's all I've got. <laughs> They're Snow Monkeys. I think you have to go through a little mini game investigation thing. Oh yeah, it's like a who done it sort of thing. To find out the lying person something something. You have to derive the truth from a bunch of liars. But I can't remember the exact specifics of that. Well, the Anuki always love... tell the truth and the Yuke always lie. Right. I do love those sorts of um brain teaser puzzles. It says here uh, from zelda.gamepedia.com/yuke during the events of Phantom Hourglass, a brown-haired Yuke invades the western side of the island, kidnapping the Anuki Aru and stealing his identity. So I'm guessing that it's he is the one Anuki who lies. This event re-sparks a strong hatred among the Anuki for the Yuke. Oh boy. So anyway, then you gotta go to the Ice Temple. <laughs> yeah, you get the the hook shot. Well, it's more like a grapply hook. Yes. Uh, and, and you fight an old enemy from the original game, Gleok. Yeah, Gleok's back. You know, you Not gotta... much to say about Gleok. There's one head that shoots fire and the other shoots ice. Twinrova Gleok. Do you oh. use the boomerang to turn their weapons against each other? Well, no, you use the grapply hook to like pull back a peg so that you can reflect uh, one of the blasts against the opposite face. Okay, yeah, sure, why not? Oh, does it bounce off the rope? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then you pull them into it and you beat up Gleok, and that's the end of Gleok. And then you get the Blunium. And then it's revealed that Gleok was actually mind-controlling the Yuke, and they're actually very nice people. And they all apologize because now you have the Blunium, and you can put that together with the Rednium. <laughs> Azuring. To, no, I know what it's called. To uh, almost make the sword. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the last island, which, what was the name of the last island? 
Uh, this, the last islands would I think be... there's a whole bunch of islands you'll have to go to to Are you access me? Muto's temple. Are they pulling a Twilight Princess on us? Maybe. Because you learn about the ancient civilization of the Cobble people. Oh, God. And King Muto. Muto also being the name of... <laughs> The name of the head carpenter. Oh. And it's a building race that built um, giant golems and apparently used to forge these phantom swords and so on. Ah. They were the... It sounds like this would... Who are these guys? Were they here before the Ocean King? Were they some of the first people that the Ocean King brought over into the world of the Ocean King? I would lean more towards the latter. Who is this precursor race? Well... A few of them look very, um, crudo. So they're Protheans. I hate to say it, but, um, the smith, Zuaz, is a descendant of the Cobble people, and it kind of looks crudo, but there's a whole bunch of people who are descended, and, uh, hold on. The, on the Isle of the Dead, you can find the graves of nine, uh, Cobble sages. Yes. The cobble people look interesting. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's Zaus. Huh. Zaus looks kind of like Ganondorf. Yeah. Kind of looks big like Ganondorf, actually. His skin tone's just lighter. Huh. Anyway. You see, for generations, our ancestors lived to serve the Ocean King. They defended the Ocean King in an age when great evil lurked in the sea. My people forged our own weapons and fought in epic battles. That's a pretty cool bit of, uh... Pretty cool bit of history going on there. Mm-hmm. So I'd say they weren't there before. The, well, we don't know one way or the other. But they were definitely there when shit was still wild and crazy. Yeah. Okay, good. So then you do the Muto Shrine. What's up with the Muto Shrine? It's a big pyramid. And you get a hammer. Oh, I see. That's why they're all styled the way... All the ghosts are styled the way they are. Mm-hmm. With the little... With the Egyptian... Yeah hat thing pharaoh hat uh-huh the hammer's great oh it's it's a magic hammer in this one isn't it the dead king of the of the cobble people king muto does eventually use the postal service to send link a power gem <laughs> well i mean e- even ghosts got to use the mail yes it's a reliable service they got tracking numbers now and it's for everybody, even the dead bodies. And did you enjoy that Ant-Man and the Wasp? I liked Ant-Man 2 and the Wasp. Yeah, that was pretty good. I kind of thought I could... Yeah, yeah, I thought it was better than the first one. Yeah. Me too. It's a fun movie. Enjoyed then it. eventually used the hammer to fight Eox, which is a big uh, golem made of stone and wood. So big that it takes up two screens. Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to launch yourself up with the hammer and then hit all the pegs and then, or hit pegs until you can hit all the pegs. Am I thinking of a boss from Spirit Tracks? Because I, I feel like there's at least one fight in this game where the enemy turns invisible and you only know where it is because the enemy's perspective is presented on the top screen. I think that's the next game. Damn it. We'll get there soon enough. I thought that was the Phantom Hourglass. So you beat up the big golem, and you get the greenium. Aquanine. And they put it together with the blueium and the redium, and they make the swordium. Is that what well, hold on. It's, a... it's going to take a minute to make the sword. <laughs> what? And before the sword is made, you have to help Vel uh, line back with his love life. 
Oh. Oh, shit. I literally and genuinely <laughs> forgot. Yeah, because uh, Lonbeck used to be in a relationship with this woman named Jolene, who is a, who I, uh, a buccaneer. Who identifies as a, I, I'm quoting here, a she-pirate. A, sh- a she-pirate. <laughs> A she pirate. <laughs> if you just say pirate, that means a guy. Oh shit! And she chases you over this entire half of the game, right? Yeah. Like yeah. she'll just occasionally appear on the world map and make a beeline for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to either run away or get caught by her and fight. Jolene's such a great name for an, an ex, a spurned ex. Why is that? I don't know. It just sounds like it does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So tell t- t- tell us more about Jolene, Crystal. Well, let me tell you a lineback story. <sighs> okay. Well, it was a while ago. I was just cruising through these waters. Anyway, I happened to sail by just as her ship was attacked by a monster. What can I say? I slammed into the beast with my ship and saved the day. Well, if I'm being totally honest here, I was just trying to get away. See, I sort of just lost control of my ship, and it just happened to strike the beast. So after that, Jolene and I traveled together for a time, but... They totally fucked. Pretty soon, I realized that the two of us were from different worlds. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, but she was a lot tougher than I. Plus, I just wasn't cut out for the rough-and-tumble life of a pirate. Yeah, I always preferred the laid-back style of just sneaking off with treasure. Anyway, Jolene and I started seeing less and less of each other. I knew I had to end it, and, well, you know. Ha 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 Anyway, ever since, Jolene has been trying to get her revenge on me. The thing is, it wasn't even that great of a treasure. I didn't think it was worth so much that she'd follow me around like this. This is one persistent woman, let me tell you. I like that the difference between them is that Jolene is a pirate who will take shit by force, and uh, Linebeck is just a thief who prefers to take stuff when you're not looking. And she's real upset that a thief stole from her, and also stole her heart, I guess. Yeah. Linebeck, you cad. <laughs> he also couldn't take that. Linebeck. She's stronger than him. No, he can't. Linebeck, you got issues. I mean, he's very open that she scares him. <laughs> he finds her very intimidating and he makes no bones about it. And in fairness, she does keep trying to kill you with a sword. It's fine. And if she ever catches you on her much bigger boat with a much bigger cannon, uh, she comes inside and is like, wow, kid, you're tough. You listening to this, Linebeck? Lineback hides in, like, a box. He's hiding yeah. in, like, a... It's like he, he hides in a shipping crate specifically so that Link can fight Jolene and make her go away. And she knows where he is the whole time because he apparently hides in boxes while they were in a relationship. <laughs> Boy in green, speak to the man in the crate for me. Advise him that he should take notes for he might learn something. Oof. That's, uh... Lineback... Lineback, come on. Lineback. Lineback, you should really just have a conversation with Jolene. Lineback. I'm sure she wouldn't stab you. You could probably work hard. this out. How is the story with Jolene resolved? I don't think it ever is. Eventually, no. I think Lineback just gives you the maximum amount of rupee rewards possible. Uh huh. And then it just ends. Maybe it's just with the comment up to Lineback by Jolene. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I guess so. She's just like this presence throughout the game who who occasionally chases you around and really wants to get Lineback, however you choose to interpret that phrase. 
her total black eyes are a little bit off-putting. Yeah, yeah, she looks kind of like a like a moth or a mantis. Um, yeah, kind of. It just makes me think of the demons in Supernatural. Okay, we're not gonna. <laughs> That lore we're not getting into on the Book of Medora podcast. I would do an Elder Scrolls episode ten times before getting into, I'm not getting into any it. of the adventures of the Winchesters. You mean the Supernatural Boys? Yeah. Okay. What else is there to say about Jolene? Not much. She has Lineback a sister should... that's a mermaid. Yeah. What? Linebeck should what? He should get bent. <laughs> is Linebeck a fuckboy? Oh, Linebeck yeah. is the biggest fuckboy in the series. <laughs> Except for Shad. At least Linebeck, like, owns his shit. It's like, Linebeck, why don't you just talk to Jolene? And he's like, because I'm a huge coward? Duh. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, yeah, I can respect that. True. Shad would make excuses. He would. I just feel like we won't have have a reasonable... You have the Zao's made it, and then he took it to Oceus, and he put the hourglass in it to make it even more better. It's like the double good sword now, and when you stab phantoms who are invincible giant knights who roam the inside of the Temple of the Ocean King in the back with it, they die. Uh-huh. The, and it can the stop scene time. Where, <laughs> the scene where Oshus merges the phantom hourglass with the blade also establishes that Link totally legitimately holds things atop of his head. Oh, yeah. Because Oshus snatches it from him. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's this space in a lot of the zelda series where link holds up uh items for like the player to look at and it's not clear if it's just like a funny animation or if he actually does it but in this game he does concretely do it because not only does he have sequences where he's like waving around because he's super dizzy or whatever but also osius actually does just snatch it away from him during the middle of that animation he's like oh come on it's doing my thing so with your powered up um with your new phantom sword. Phantom sword. You can now go to the very depths of the Temple of the Ocean King. Gonna mess this temple up. You can now kill the phantoms. Uh-huh. And stop the time. No, not yet. Oh. To fight the bellums. Oh, yeah. Fight bellum. It's a squid fight. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a squid <laughs> because squids are known as enemies of sperm whales, which is what Oceus is. Is Oceus a sperm whale? Spoiler. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> oh. Cool. I guess that makes sense. Usually squids don't win that fight. Do we know enough about giant squid? We know that sperm whales eat them. Oh. Well, this is a life-absorbing yeah. squid. It's a very bad squid. Very giant. Yeah. That's like a cross between an inkling and Zero Two from Kirby 64, the crystal shards. <laughs> this fight is pretty novel in that you are running in a little arena and the a little staircase that encircles the like a coliseum. Uh-huh. It's cute. It's pretty cool as these fights go. Eventually you punch Bellum enough that it spits out something shining. Uh-huh. Which floats into Sela and she remembers that she is the spirit of courage and time. Time. She gets an extra power. What's up with that? It was stolen long ago. No, I mean, what's up with her having power over time? Oh. She got it from like, Link. She, she got it from Zelda? I mean, we understand that time manipulation in the game up to now has involved the Phantom Hourglass because it's like the Ocean King takes the hit for you as you're going through the temple. Yes. Why can Sila control time? She can pause it for a little bit. Is, does she, is that just a, a, like... She is the same color as the power of the Ocean King. 
Is that just because the Ocean King's power is housed chiefly in her? Maybe she's a servant. No, I think the Ocean King. I think the Ocean King chose her because of her connection to the hero of courage and time. Okay, so we're back on the Sila is Navi train. <laughs> Not I, that she's a servant of Hylia. Well, I mean, she was able to draw the master sword. You would want her to be the one. <laughs> Why? I'm never going to stop. So after she gets this power back, she's like, okay, it moves around way too erratically for you to be able to get at it. Except that now with my true power invested in the phantom sword, you can stop time. With phantom spheres. And I'll generate a phantom sphere at regular intervals that'll let you stop time, run up, and whoop on its back. So in Japanese, instead of all this phantom usage, is it dream instead? I or whatever to say. Hmm. Well, let me check. Let's see. Phantom sword is called the sword of dreams. Yes. Ooh. Well, I will just be. How fascinating. And the hour of the glass item is indeed called the hourglass of dreams. Wow. And so she has dream spheres. Well, uh, hmm. Or something. Don't search this wiki. This is the shitty wiki. No, it's not. Yeah, they are called dream spheres. Mugen no Sufia. I really, I, I feel like somebody at NOA was like, dream sounds too uncool. They kind of got a fantasy. <laughs> Crystal, which wiki are you looking at? Oh, Zelda.gamepedia, the good one. You see? Crystal agrees with me. All right, all right. Wait, did you think the one other one was a good one? I, uh, oh, God. I've got no. The other one sucks. No, Monica said that the Gamepedia one was the... I am the one who behaves the fool. <laughs> the only wiki that's everything. Ooh, Sword of the Beyond. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like Actually, the, yeah. I like the, the Spanish name, Beyond. Sword of the Beyond. Beyond is an awesome way to term it. So, wait, does that mean that the... The Spanish... T- what the fuck? Who knows? <clears throat> okay, so you you beat up Bellum. Yeah, you mostly. hit Bellum real good. But... And please continue. So, Celia uses her power to revive the helpless Princess Zelda. Oh. But then it turns yeah. out Bellum's still alive. And he's back. And he's 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 gonna he's gotta fight him again. What a dick. Well what what happens is um the the temple kind of semi collapses and then you get warped out by Oshus and mm-hmm. he he revitalizes Tetra. By putting his life force into her. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, what he that's, says he does say that. specifically. And then in in thirty seconds Tetra is yanked away by Bellum. Again. Again. God damn it. What the fuck? This game is not good to Tetra. No. Spirit Tracks is kind of an apology for Phantom Hourglass, I think. Yeah, and so Bellum takes over the ghost ship and puts his gross eyes and purple squid juice all over it. Uh-huh. And now you have you to could say that he does this ship. you could say that he does this. Uh, with ill intent or malice. Huh. Ooh. Huh. What do you think is the relationship between Bellum and the malice? Nothing. <laughs> Genuinely nothing. Well, why does he have purple goo and eyes? That's just a really consistent uh, visual motif in this series. Okay. That's it. Same reason with Majora's Mask always uses purple and has eyes. Okay. Purple is black. Is it? Uh, yeah. Oh. I guess it kind of is. Purple represents darkness. Okay. That's why one of the links in Four Swords is the evil link. So he's, he, he he does the whole malice thing and breaks apart stuff. 
Ship battle. Ship battle. Yeah, Crystal, what happens to the ship battle? Bombs. You gotta shoot it with your bombs. And then? Uh, time to board the ship. <laughs> it's time to board the ship. Okay, what will happen when you board ship? You board the ship, and Tetra's there. Is she stoned she, again? No, she's fine. She's kind of just knocked out. and. So uh, she's basically stone, but like soft stone. <laughs> what? Okay, yes. Um, and as uh, Lineback and Link jump onto the ghost ship, Bellum snaps the mast of the ghost ship, and it totally smashes line, SS Lineback. And sinks it. With Oshus on it. Ah, and they're horrified. Lying well, back mostly for his ship. Of course. He's like, oh, my boat. And everybody else is like, the god of this place. And he's like, my boat. Now, in fairness, by this point in the game, you do have a pretty big uh, emotional connection to that boat. And you've upgraded it. You know this is the ending. It's like a gold ship now. Yeah, it's like the fancy ship. So Bellum grabs Link and he drops his phantom sword. Ooh. And he's picking up Link and Tetra and he's just shaking the shit out of both of them. Yeah. But then he doesn't get stabbed by Lineback, who is shakenly is has picked up the Phantom Sword and stabbed Bellum in the tentacle, even though he's quivering with fear. It's great. Good job, Lineback. And, and then Bellum, in pain and fury, drops Link, who passes out. And by the time Link wakes up because Sela's yelling at him, Lineback is still fighting Bellum with the sword. Yeah, Lineback's good. <laughs> Lineback's been holding his ground against this evil god creature, even though we've never seen him fight throughout the entire rest of the game. And, and Link can't quite fight him, except for with the time freezing powers. <laughs> yeah, Lineback's just waving the sword around like a person who doesn't know how to use a sword. But Bellum is like, I can't, I can't get in line with his rhythm. I can't get in. <laughs> He's a master in a fighting game. Yeah, and then uh, Lineback throws the sword in the air, and Link catches it. Yeah, because Bellum grabs him, and Lineback's like, like go, Link, and he throws it while Bellum is drag- dragging him backward, and Link does this cool, like, leaping grab flip, and lands, and is like, whoa, they're going on deep on these DS cutscenes. And then um, Bellum attaches itself to Lineback's back, and Lineback turns into the biggest phantom. The Bellumbeck. The Bellumbeck. And then you have to Do fight. Do you two remember anything about this fight? Yeah, you have to stop time and hit uh, Bellumbeck in the back. It's basically like the last sequence, only uh, Bellumbeck hits really hard. Oh. I think. Okay. Do you do you remember it no. any differently, Crystal? No. I think that's what it is. And you still get the Phantom Spheres. And Bellum dies. But Linebeck is okay. Linebeck's like, oh man, that was awful. <laughs> and... After it's done, the sands in Bellum kind of explode out and then rush into the ocean. Does the Phantom Sword also explode? Sort of, okay. I think. I can't remember. Okay. And the Ocean King resurfaces and he's a whale. He's a big old whale. I drew him on the side here. You did. You've got his eyebrow and his eye. He's very cute the way you drew him. This makes for a great uh, visual for the listeners. <laughs> Um, the Ocean King reminds everybody that he made a promise to Lineback of one wish. And Sila's like, hey, you want your treasure now, right? Just ask for your treasure. Come on, you you jerk. Just get the treasure you've been wanting and asking for this whole time. You've been 30 hours like this. Just get your treasure. And he's like, can you just bring my boat back? 
And Sila's like, what? What? That's it? You know, if you ask for treasure later, you're not going to get it. It's your one treasure chance. And he's like, that's enough out of you. And he grabs the fairy and stretches it like you would stretch an anime child's face to express displeasure with them. And uh, then you never actually see his boat come up. Not right now. No, but uh, then it's time to say goodbye to everybody. This is where the world talk kicks in. Yeah. It's time to go back to your world. It's And then Tetra's like, "What? what is this? <laughs> and the fairies are like, this is the world of the Ocean King where we live. We are of the world of the Ocean King, so we must stay here. And this is where you go, what? <laughs> and then uh, Sila says goodbye to Link. And they're like, bye, bye, bye. And uh, the fairies disappear into mist. And it's worth saying that at the very, very beginning of this sequence, uh, Linebeck himself disappears into mist in much the same way because he is also a citizen of the world of the Ocean King. And then we pull back and uh, Link and Tetra wake up together on the deck of the Phantom ship. And they're like, what the hell? And Tetra's ship pulls up beside and Nico's like, hey, what are you guys doing over there? And they get back onto the ship, and Nico's like, so I guess you were fine then? And Tetra's like, I cannot believe you pieces of shit did not even come to look for us. What the hell is wrong with you? Are you supposed to be pirates or not? And then the nerdy one is like, what? What What are you talking about? You've been gone for like ten minutes. And she's like, ten minutes? You pe- what? How could you? After all the shit we just went through, you want to tell me that only took ten minutes? And then the other pirates are like, uh, yeah, you must have been having some kind of dream over there. And then all the pirates look at each other and they kind of nod and smile knowingly. And then Chetra turns on them and is like, I know you motherfuckers ain't going to pretend that you're not going to believe me when I tell you all this shit that just happened. And they're terrified of her because Tetra's a very forceful personality, but also they don't believe her at all about this thing that just happened. Uh, but... They're, they keep harping on this dream thing. And then it's like, and, and nothing even happened on the ghost ship. And then Nico looks up and he's like, where'd the ghost ship go? And everyone turns around. The ghost ship's just fucking gone. And then Link is like, huh. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the phantom hourglass. And he's like, huh. It's not worth remarking to anyone. No, though. he doesn't interrupt the argument that Tetra is having with the crew or anything. He's just like, huh, my, my hourglass. That's cool. And he goes and he looks over the other side of the ship. And you see the SS Linebeck sailing off into the distance. Because he kept crossed over into this world too. The end. I guess he won't be bothered by Jolene anymore. That is the big <laughs> thing. Is that Jolene is just sailing around the world of the Ocean King. Like, oh, I'm going to get that Linebeck. And she never finds his ass oh, again. Oh my gosh. Eventually, she's going to give up on it and possibly, like, go spend some time with her family and get herself in order a little bit and move on to healthier relationships. So, <laughs> people from the worlds of the Ocean King can travel through. I think that, like, he only gets the one wish, but it also seems to me that the Ocean King allowed him to sail through to the Great Sea. The connection between the worlds is specifically described as a door uh, that isn't always open. Right. So I don't know. But the well, it's not that the Anuki necessarily make it through, but we see the Anuki later on. And spirit, spirit tracks. tracks. It seems to me that the world of the Ocean King is a parallel universe, much in the same way that some people would interpret Termina. Really? Yes. Termina is a Tell place me- you can go. Oh, fuck's sake. Okay, Monica, tell me how you see the world of the Ocean King. I think it was part of the Great Sea. Uh-huh. And then pocketed. Pocketed. Yes. 
Made into a pocket dimension. Uh, okay, so how does that look from the outside? Um, you could potentially, like a door. There's a little gate that you could travel through by being in the right spot. And when you go in there, time is slowed down. Sped or up? Sped, sped up. It doesn't run parallel. Right. And it's got hints of the Great Sea, namely, you know, the Triforce and all of the courage, wisdom, and power symbols. And many of the peoples of the Great Sea. And a lot of people who aren't in the Great Sea, like the Yuk. Yes. And those builder people, the cobbles. But there aren't people from the Great Sea in this parallel dimension. There's no Link or Zelda. There's no Rito. There's no There's no Kamali. No, I, like there's straight up no Rito either. The postman in right. this is just like a little dude with wings. He's, not, uh, he's specifically not a Rito. It seems to me like... This you're drawing up a way that a parallel universe might have spun off from the Great Sea, but it still reads to me like an alternate dimension in the Saturday morning cartoon sense of that word. It's spun off. I just need it spun off. Why do you need it to be spun off? I just gave my reasons. No. No, no, no. Crystal, what's your take on this? Why does the postman have wings? <laughs> so he can fly. Okay. What do you expect for him to have a jet ski? A steamship? There are steamships. I think the world of the Ocean King like Terminus. I think the world of the Ocean King, like uh, Termina, is a place that you can go to physically. How? With a boat. (laughs) Why does time pass differently there? Because of the Ocean King's magic. Where is it geographically then? Like, what? It's in the sea. (laughs) I don't buy this crystal. It's just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Why not? Because it's like, they, what, what? Are you, are you familiar that... with the uh, Bermuda Triangle? I am, yes. It's like that. That's not real. Okay, well, it is. I was... It's a place. It's doubly not real. I was worried that the people of the Ocean King world would disappear when the Ocean King got better. But... That it was a windfish kind of thing. Yeah, but he's been awake the whole time. Yeah. It's definitely kind of. a uh, homage to the windfish, but I don't think it is like Koholnit Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Col- definitely not a dream, even though his actual name, body is not running around. The English name or the Japanese name of this game involves Oceus is basically the owl from Link's Awakening. Hmm. That's it. That's all I've got. We don't see Oceus again until we find his corpse in Breath of the Wild. Ugh. Right, which suggests that it is physically uh, transportable. Well, I mean, he is the god of that place who can open the door. There's a lot of explanations right. for how he might have made it to Hyrule. Did his universe collapse? Possibly. When he died? Very possibly. He probably dumped them all out into the ocean somewhere. Oh, no. Um, I No, really I think it's lo- a place on the sea that the Ocean King has claimed for himself. And, you know, his magic causes it to have some different metaphysical rules, but you can still sail there. Like a pocket dimension. I, mm, a pocket <laughs> dimension. No, not a pocket still... dimension, because it's not in the pocket. It's it's there. Okay, it's so like we... the dragon's we triangle. A, we're on a spectrum here, where Crystal's saying it's just there. You could plot it out on a map if you really tried. Monica's saying that it used to be on a map, but it's not on the map anymore. And I'm saying it was never on the map in the first place. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all here. Let's average it out. Yeah. No! <laughs> Damn it! You're not... Mm, I'm not going to let... No, we're not taking the yeah, centrist I'm, position I'm, I'm here. I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. Ugh, that real answer has to lie somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I know I don't agree with that, but... 
Do you know, so I loved Phantom Hourglass, but in some ways, and I love Lineback. Lineback's great. In some ways, I feel like this game would have been possible and doable with Tetra sailing you around. Tetra instead of Lineback. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, furthering, like, uh, you know, funny conversations between Link and Tetra. See, that's one of the things about, like, writing a story is that you can just do whatever you want. Yes. You could have, like, you running around with Lineback and, like, you could come up with some reason that Tetra is actually the one chasing you instead of Jolene. I don't Why? know what I don't know what okay. it would be, but it's like maybe she assumes that you've betrayed the crew for some reason. It doesn't matter why. You could make well, up know, something. But You're that the writer. That doesn't quite make. It's no. I'm saying like I you can't still, think of a reason. You still have those conversations with Tetra. There's a thousand ways that they could. Yeah, but I mean to have Tetra have a presence in this game. Yeah, that would be better. Because I know knowing I Nintendo, the way they built this game was we're going to have him sail around. Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody needs to sail the boat. Let's do it with a touch screen. Yeah. Okay, who should sail the boat? Oh, we need somebody who could captain a ship. But not a fighter. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, basically. And that's how we got line back. Yes. Now, instead of going to Tetra. They, mm, this is definitely a light force game in the way that Zelda's treated in it. Yeah. I'm not wrong. No. Yeah, Bellum's just hungry for that Hylia. Basically. <laughs> Do we ever see her get it back? Because when she's brought back from being stoned, it's not because the light force is restored to her. It's because Oshis gave her some of his. Oh. Hmm. I Maybe it just snaps back. Yeah, when Bellum's murdered. Just like Oshis got his power back. You okay, Crystal? You sound tired. No, I'm just looking up Zelda jokes. <laughs> oh, you're trying to prepare ahead let's, of time. Let's go to okay. questions. That's, Although, let's... you made a great Zelda joke earlier. What, what joke was that? Oh, yeah? Oh. Oh. With, with the um, it was a good pun. Do you remember it at all? No, I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I guess you'll remember when you listen to it. Oh, did I hear? Yes. But I mean, like, it was midway through the podcast, and it was a funny pun. A pun? No, I don't remember that. It, it's uh, I'm trying to. You, oh, I can't even remember the, it now. But I know what you're talking about. Because I laugh. What was it related <laughs> and to? And uh, like Don Gon Rongo. Yeah. Oh God, damn it. Well, okay. Well, we'll... but we can have another joke. Oh but no. Do we questions have to... first? Okay. Um, our first. Uh, <laughs> our first. I'll I'll read this first one. This first one comes from Kali from Saskatchewan. No, where can people send? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting ahead of it. You can send questions to Book of Medora Podcast at Gmail dot com. Once more, oh. Book of Medora Podcast at gmail.com. And while Crystal's looking for Zelda jokes, because we are truly and well getting to the bottom of that particular barrel, I will read this first one, which is a bit of a beefy one, but we do like our beefy ones. Kali here. Brace yourselves, because this email is going to be all over the place. But I finally have a place to express my feelings about Zelda other than the forums. First of all, I would like to ask you all what your opinion is or was for the rumored sequel to Twilight Princess Valley of the Flood. Oh, I remember this. There were hoax leaks for a game of this title that were all the craze after Twilight Princess was released, and just when I started getting into in-depth analysis and theorizing about the series, people believed that it would be the missing link between Twilight Princess and Wind Waker back when the timeline split was hotly debated. 
And yeah, I put missing link in quotes because it only occurred to me after the fact that it could be a good play on words, seeing as most of the community believe that Link would not appear in the game, reflecting the events told in Wind Waker. Talking about this potential game had my mind spinning with ideas of an open-world Zelda with custom characters long before Breath of the Wild. However, a big bummer would be that the story would be predestined to end in failure, Hyrule canonically did flood, and Ganondorf did survive after all. Anyways, I would love to hear your opinions on how spectacularly wrong we were back then. Shall we pause right now to have a discussion around that? I think that would be uh, fine. Rumor is such a generous word for what the Valley of the Deluge was. I <laughs> I believe that was posted with a secret interview that IGN had with Anuma. Uh-huh. That was posted early. <laughs> God, I did not interface with this at all. Like, I read, I was like, yeah, sure, guys, okay. April 1st posting or I was so hard on the split timeline theory at the time that it's like guys I know a timeline theory turned into a fanfic when I see one and that's how I responded to this I don't think I I, heard about this at all I don't I thought the split timeline was pretty well accepted by that point but yeah this was in like 2008 I believe yeah yeah. and this was someone's idea for like a prequel to the Wind Waker where you would fight Ganon and fail this was uh, after you and I had stopped interfacing with Zelda forums. Oh, and like okay. there was a gap of a few years before we got back into it. Uh, what Pretty much wasn't until Skyward Sword came out. Hmm. But um, yeah, uh, it read too much like fanfic for me to possibly believe it. It's like people, it was a story that was so on the nose in terms of what people wanted that it just struck me as ridiculous on its face. Yeah, and the way the interview is presented is not how any interview would ever be conducted, ever. Yeah, it, uh, mm, yeah, that, mm. God, how did they even reveal those games back then? They hadn't started the Nintendo Directs yet. It was just during E3s or whatever. Yeah, I guess. So, uh, yeah, everybody was very wrong about that, but I'm not actually sure how widespread belief in this was. Yeah, I wasn't aware that it, people took it to be true at all. Like, I, I, I think I actually heard of it in the context of it being like, here's this idea that I have about a game. Wouldn't yeah, this be cool? cool? It's a, yeah, it's it, cool. It, 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 it's cool in the same way that it's cool that Ocarina of Time was a retelling of the Imprisoning War, basically. And the next part of the letter goes... Oh, I'm reading the interview now, and I forgot the part where Anuma says, because it isn't Link, we have more freedom with the character design, so he's going to have black hair and more defined musculature. Oh. <laughs> what? Also, it was a steampunk game. Like, how oh, that's... Think oh, this no. That's right. That's right. This is the one where it was, like, more modernized because this was Hyrule before the fall. And it was, like, extrapolating from the fact that Hyrule and Ocarina of Time had, like, jukeboxes and shit. Oh, also the hero is going to go slowly insane because he knows he's not really Link. What? That didn't miss the 2000s. That that wasn't in there. (laughs) You better Link me. Oh, you did. I remember this art. I remember this Valley of the Flood art. I don't at all. It's top shelf art, actually. Um, I'm not going to ask you to link us to that interview because I don't think I want to see it. But um, I, I, I'm going to, unless there's any, feel free to interrupt me with any more snippets from that interview, any more gems. But I'm going to continue with the email, at least for another paragraph. Something uh, more. They re- did predict that uh, the world would have trains in it, which did come true. Yeah, all right. Yeah, makes sense. 
Something more related to the Twilight Princess episode that I hope this makes it on, sorry, has to do with that weird Zant thing at the end of the game, which apparently stumped you if I'm reading into that correctly. Oh yeah, yeah. I've always interpreted that, even on my first playthrough, which I've had like three full playthroughs and more times fighting Ganondorf on my endgame save, as Ganondorf reaching out for some reserve power. I figured that he wouldn't have given Zant his power just for him to do his dirty work, Ganondorf would have kept him alive as a lifeline. In case he did fall against Link, he could rip away the power vested in Zant to give himself a second chance to attain the Triforce. I'm sure there's flaws with this, but that type of manipulation fits right into my perception of the kind of person Ganondorf is. I also feel like my idea of things could easily be depicted as what happened in that cutscene. I also look forward to hearing how badass it is that he literally died on his feet. And we did talk about how he had literally the manliest possible death. Yeah. Yeah, I like this idea that uh, Ganondorf was calling out to Zant to get some life juice, and Zant was like, no, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I guess, uh, peace, and then they both die. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I, I guess Ganondorf didn't expect Link and Midna to go over to the Twilight Realm and, you know... Kill Zant. Kill Zant first. Yeah, but even then, Zant very much does reject Ganondorf openly there in that sequence. Yeah. So that's a perfectly good read of that, I think. Yeah, I could I could get behind this. Yes, I'm going to keep going. I am utterly fascinated by the monsters in the Legend of Zelda series, specifically Bacoblins and Bulblins. Bulblins, which only appear in two games, seem a lot more organized and intelligent. There is a clear leader that isn't Ganon, they build structures to live in, and they manage to either tame or domesticate boars for riding and eating. Bacoblins, on the other hand, I've always felt were more a bit more stock monstery. They're obviously not just the typical keys type monster. They have some amount of intelligence, but it feels less like agency compared to those races in Hyrule. Does Ganon's magic create them to join his army? It seems unlikely in the case of Bulblins. What does this mean for the context of Link slaughtering hundreds of them on his way to defeat Ganondorf? Am I overblowing it by comparing it to Link killing humans? It is a bit uncomfortable um, killing monsters that clearly have clothes and armor and you know jewelry that uh, they're they're intelligent. I mean, Bokoblins did also have those things in Wind Waker where they were introduced. Right. No, I mean like many monsters do have these things. They also definitely seem to be all of them seem to be created from dark magic to me, though. Yeah. Like, even when you kill Bacoblins in Twilight Princess, where they seem to be separate from Ganondorf, they still explode into smoke and evil mist. The world just has monsters what in it. What do you think happens when Link dies? Uh, he falls over you and the world into turns... light. The world turns very dark. He gets buried mm -hmm. under a sacred tree. Uh. I don't think it's... I don't know if it's... Link does kill humans in Twilight Princess. That's just a fucking fact. Mm-hmm. I don't know if him killing Bacoblins is exactly comparable to that, because Link has killed humans in the past. It's just a thing that he sometimes does because it has to be done. But I think that establishes that if he has to, Link will ice you personally if it will save the world. Yeah, no, Link will do murder. Yeah, Link has done big murder in the past. Even the nicest, most bunny Link there is does big murder. It's a little weird sometimes in Breath of the Wild where it feels like uh, you are invading Bacoblin camps and just killing them while they're trying to have a nice camp day. <laughs> now, in fairness, they do try to justify that at least a little bit in one sense, in that if Bacoblins see people at all, they will go and attack them, which doesn't come up that often, but does come up occasionally when you see travelers getting waylaid on the road. 
because bokoblins can see them from much further. Are you encounter bokoblins in like giant fields where they're just swords that they've gathered? Or where they're waiting on the side of the road to like hiding in the tall grass and they jump out and attack you as you're walking by? Yeah. We haven't seen anything particularly redeemable about them. Also, they do come back every time there's a blood moon. Yeah, that's a thing. Any harm you do to them is strictly temporary. Until you kill Ganon. (laughs) Until you kill Ganon. And if they disappear when you kill Ganon, they just have to go. Okay, now to the last major paragraph. Finally, and I promise this is the last topic I'd like to get off of my chest, I have my own Mario is a play-esque theory for The Legend of Zelda, which I'm sure has been done to death by now, but I think it should be touched upon in the podcast. It isn't that Link is an actor in a fictional show or anything, but that the many stories of The Legend of Zelda are just that, legends. Similar to Arthurian legends and Homer's tales where gods and heroes interact with and shape the world they live in. I won't go into whether or not the real fictional world of Hyrule, I love that phrase, real fictional, of Hyrule is as fantastic as the games would have you believe, but just that the fictional fictional worlds of Hyrule are different stories loosely tied and distributed by word of mouth. Of course, there will be inconsistencies. Why does Malin show up all over the place? Why does Death Mountain tend to migrate like a lost goose? Why does Ocarina of Time kiss Raru's ass so much? It's just different demographics (laughs) telling related stories. Perhaps if you are from the village that Raru was born in, Raru Village, and your people have so many half-true stories about him, then Raru would influence the stories people in that village would tell. Or what about people living away from the mainland, where the stories migrated so far away that the only explanation for where Hyrule is is under the sea? I know this idea is a bit of a cop-out, but for me, I like to imagine the real fictional world of Hyrule and how diverse and interesting the people telling these legends must be. That's interesting. The idea of The Legend of Zelda as a collection of not really related legends is actually as old as the timeline theories themselves. Like... That's one of the grand old theories. And it's perfectly cogent as these go. It provides a perfect explanation for all the consistencies throughout the games. It's like, why is Twilight Princess like that? It's like, because that's the particular social context in which that story was told. It's like a metatextual explanation that fits perfectly. I fully expect Nintendo one day to come out and say that. To try to make sense of all the Zelda games together. I expect that it'll just keep doing 10,000 year gaps. (laughs) Gaps that are so big it doesn't even matter. I mean, everything in the story is already framed like that, where it's like, some say, some believe, in the tales. Yeah, they clearly don't want people to take it as being very strict canon, what's going on in the Hyrule Historia. And I think that if you're just going to like play the games, then just taking them on their own as disparate legends probably makes the most intrinsic sense. It's just not what we're doing on this podcast, and it's not how we interact with the stories. Yeah. Yeah, we have a Homeric approach to history, where we will attempt to make a hard narrative out of conflicting sources. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll do that. We like doing that, even. Let's close this email out. Oh boy, that was a lot. I'm going to add a warning in the subject, but I hope these ideas give you all some good talking points. I love the show and I love all the hosts. Going back to the classics really rekindled my love for the series, and I'm currently going back to play Twilight Princess again. The only proper way to play that game on GameCube. (laughs) As always, Kali. Also from Saskatchewan, hi Ross. We have a bunch of Saskatchewan listeners. Thank you, Kali. That was a very nice email. Thank you. Thank you, Kali.
Hey everybody, we're recording this before we record most of the Spirit Tracks episode, because we got a special birthday message. Yeah, we're going to put this at the end of the Phantom Hourglass episode, because this birthday comes after the Phantom Hourglass episode goes up, but long before the Spirit Tracks episode will go up. Did we draw a chart for this? When is the birthday? The birthday, to the best of my knowledge, is July the 31st. And July the 31st. And the message that we have been sent is from one Matt. And it reads, Happy birthday, Sophie. You're truly a Zelda expert, and your knowledge of this world and its characters blows me away. Your passion is contagious and inspiring to me. I love you, and I'm so lucky to be your partner. Happy birthday, Sophie. Happy birthday to Sophie. Happy birthday, Sophie. I love birthday shoutouts. Those are so nice. We should do more of those. Our recording schedule makes it difficult to do timely birthday shoutouts, but we're not averse to them, so if you send them in, add a date. <laughs> I mean, the macros take money for their shoutouts and they don't get them even close to on time. Oh, that's horrible. No, I, 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 I will splice shit into episodes after the fact if that will help make things better for our listeners. But yeah, Griffin McElroy. Yeah, Griffin McElroy. Give me your money. <laughs> yeah, Griffin McElroy. I've never listened to anything by the McElroys. Neither have Pretty I. Pretty good. That's nice. Anyway, they're, happy birthday, Sophie. Funny lads. Happy birthday, Sophie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I'm stopping the recording. Okay. That was a. Cameron, where can people find you online? Oh Jesus! Oh no, we're already doing this. Okay, um, you can find me on Twitter at Cam Ryder. You can find me on Twitter at Arcane Crystal. You can find me on MCU Complete Me, a podcast about the Marvel movies on AudioEntropy.com. You can find me on Let's Place, the podcast where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality on AudioEntropy.com. What did Link say when Bellum kidnapped? Uh, Zelda. What do you say? Leave her alone. Oh. <laughs> Yay! Alright, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.